Okay, if you could just take your seat, if you could take your seat where you are. Yep. Uh, if you take uh, your Bibles, uh, the, there should be enough Bibles in front of you and the seats there. Uh, and uh, turn uh, to page 621. Page 621. And can everybody hear me okay? Can you hear me clearly up the back? Yes? Okay, thanks, uh, Susan. Yes. Okay. Uh, there's an outline in the bulletin if you find that helpful as well. Let me pray once again as we come to God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we praise you as our God and King. Uh, help us now of the alphabet. How did you go? Who got the letter A, B, C? Anybody get A, B, and C? Anybody come up with something starting with A? I'm not going to go through the whole alphabet, but anybody get something with A? Anybody? Yes. What did you get with the letter A? I can't hear that. Uh, did you say abominable? <laughs> e, oh, sorry, C, C and D. Anybody get C and D? Uh, yes, what did you get for C or D? Okay, uh, I, I, I might have to stop this exercise because I can't actually hear what anybody's saying. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, what was that, Glenn? Christ died for our sins. Somewhere in the middle there, I, J and K. Who got I, J and K? Anybody? Any I, J and Ks? Yes, did you come up with anything? Immeasurable. Nice. Yes, that's a good word. Picking up with a theme from today. Immeasurable. What about uh, P, Q, R? Did anybody get P, Q and R? No P, Qs and Rs out there. I'm sure you did on your program. But uh, what about the very end? Did anybody get X, Y and Z? Anyone? <laughs> I, I got X, Y and Z. I think Yahweh might fit in there somewhere. And uh, Z, Z maybe for zealous. Uh, God is zealous and jealous. Whatever the alphabet, we could probably come up with something to describe uh, how, uh, who God is. But how great is God exactly? And how do, do we, how do we describe him? And how can we actually try to summarize him in some kind of way? So how great is God? And so we're going to have a look at this passage to say, uh, today and have a look and see what we learn about how great God is. But let me make two initial comments about this, this passage, the big picture, and then we'll start to dig into the details. Uh, the first uh, comment about the big picture is that Psalm 145 is what is known as an acrostic psalm. Uh, acrostic psalm. Now, although we can't see it in the English translation, each little section begins in our alphabet. The Hebrew had 22. Now, the most famous psalm, of course, that does this is the longest psalm in the Bible, uh, in the book of Psalms. Also the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. And it uses a, the first letter for each paragraph. So that's why it's very long. And I guess um, an acrostic psalm is a way uh, for the psalmist to say that although you cannot use every word you know to praise the Lord, you are using every potential word uh, with each letter of the alphabet. The second thing to notice in terms of big picture is that... Um, the first part of the psalm, there are words of praise and then they're followed by the grounds of that praise, the reason for praising. There's praising and then there's the reason for praising. That happens three times from verses 1 through to the start of verse 13. And then from the second part, that twofold flow reverses. There is the grounds of praise, the reason for praise, followed by the call to praise uh, at the end in verse 21. 
So that's a bit of a big picture. Let's have a closer look at some of the detail as we go. Verse 1 and 2, uh, let me read it. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. The opening verses here are a little bit like a, a kind of a solo performance. It's a little bit like a choir that is singing and their spotlight falls on one person as they sing before everyone else joins in. Uh, and that individual exalts, praises, extols God the King. And the theme of kingship is introduced here in these opening verses and it will be expanded as the psalm moves on, as it unfolds. And having first praised God, he then goes on to give the reasons for praise. Uh, and his praise of God the King. In verse 3 he says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness no one can fathom. Unfathomable as we had in the kids talk there. Let's try and say it again, the word unfathomable. Everybody, one, two, three. Unfathomable. Unfathomable. Okay, now it's one of those words that reflect what it means when you say it because it's really hard to say it it's complicated it's a it's a word that just looks really big and hard to understand and uh, it's a little bit like what god is at times but it's a psalmist way of saying that god is greater than we think in terms of putting it in simple terms god is greater than we think and even though the psalmist has already praised god he still acknowledges that god is greater than he thinks and that's why he says his greatness no one can fathom and so as rich and meaningful this solo performance is the psalmist attempts at praise are still inadequate for the subject in which he's singing about god's greatness no one can fathom and he recognizes that so he calls on the nation of god's people to add to the chorus of praise as they join in singing about the story of God's work in creation and redemption. The psalm transitions from the individual voice in the first person praising God in verse 1 to 3 through to the corporate praising in the third person in verses 4 and following. So we get to verse 4 and following here and it's everybody doing, praising together. So that's this time when we read it, I want everybody to read it together with me because it's more than just one person. So let's pray, uh, let's read this out together from verse 4 to verse 7. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your... Uh, there is a little bit of first person in there, but uh, it's also talking about everybody together. And I guess it's a little bit maybe like the, the converted convict, Thomas Hines, who stood on this piece of open farmland 175 years ago singing praise to God. Perhaps his wife Charlotte joined him and then pondering, wouldn't it be great if, if, if there was more than just us praising God Thomas Hines did 175 years ago as we continue to exalt God the King, praising him and extolling his name, commending his works from one generation to the next, telling of his mighty acts, speak, speaking of the glorious splendor of his majesty, telling of the power of his awesome works and proclaiming his great deeds, celebrating his abundant goodness and joyfully singing of God's righteousness. 
But although verses 4 to 7 begin to, begin to unpack the reasons for praising the actions of God, there are even deeper grounds for praise in verse 8 to 9 as the psalmist points us to the character of God that initiated the rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Now those hearing this psalm for the first time would see in these verses different allusions to the famous verse in Exodus 34, verse 6, describing the character of God. This is what it says in Exodus. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, to the, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. On five occasions in the book of Psalms, there are, are allusions back to this verse in Exodus 34. And it's a great summary of God. And if you're one of those people that like, is greater than they think because his plans include more than just his faithful people in Israel. But you may have also noticed that by the time you get to verse 9, the word all appears, A-double-L. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. From the perspective of this psalm, it is not necessarily focusing on the nation of Israel alone, but with a repetition of the word all, there is universal significance as God's love is also manifest to all creatures and God's is greater than they thought. And the praises of these verses are grounded in the fact that the Lord endures through all generations. Four times, four times it appears. And as I mentioned earlier, this psalm is an acrostic psalm that follows the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so by the time we get to the centerpiece, 11, 12 and 13, the acrostic becomes quite clever in the original language. If you line up the letters from verse 13, 12 and 11, going backwards, it spells out the Hebrew word for king which is another way of emphasizing a key theme running through this psalm, the kingship of God over Israel and kingship of God over all his works, over all that he has made. And as history unfolds, they are to discover, the Israelites are to discover that their king is greater than they think. Their king is, if you remember from last year when we looked at some parts of the Old Testament, we used the four E's to remember the history in the Old Testament. Anybody remember the first E at the very beginning of the Bible? E for Eden, E for Eden, the Garden of Eden. And then the second E in the second book of the Bible, E for Exodus. That's good. I'm glad you remember something. E for Exodus. And then there's another E that we sort of introduced. Originally we had three, but I wanted to put another four in and I'll keep adding them as we go. The third E was E for... Well, that was, that was the original part of the three. The, yeah, the exile is the fourth E, but before the exile there was something that they came out of Egypt and they, they entered. They entered into the promised land. So the Garden of Eden... Uh, they, when they left the promised land under the nations of Assyria and Babylon. And when the nation of Israel was taken out of the promised land and into exile under uh, a particular king who has a very long name. Does any of the kids want to try to remember the long name of the king of Babylon in the Old Testament? It starts with N. 
Andrew. Oh, I, can't, I've got, I can't hear anything. This fan's very loud up here. Did you say Nebuchadnezzar? Yes, I thought you did. Okay. <laughs> just in case you did, I can just pretend that that's what you said. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, in, in Psalm 130 that we looked at last week, uh, we looked at how the passage said, Out of the depths I cry. Out of the depths I cry. And it's that kind of experience where we realize that we are totally dependent on God and we need him. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 4 as he tells his story. He says, uh, he, he begins by saying, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is King Nebuchadnezzar here, the enemy of the people. He goes on. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom, the kingdom, when they went into exile in the first place, such a testimony introduces a radical perspective that suggests that God's kingdom to the Israelites is greater than they think. God's kingdom is greater than they think. For rather than being bound up with a literal throne and an earthly Jerusalem in an earthly kingdom, it is far greater than that. And God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly one. This is unfathomable in lots of ways. His kingdom knows no national borders. God's people don't worship under the authority of a national flag because God is greater than we think. People of all time are called to recognize that they are subject to the Lord God, the one true king. And as king over a global kingdom, a universal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, an all of creation kingdom, he is a king like no other. Far different from the kings of this world, he is perfectly righteous, perfectly gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And this is shown in no greater way than in sending Jesus to invite us into this kingdom. For although by nature we've all rebelled against the king and sit under his judgment, we know that God is greater than we think. He sent Jesus to take the judgment that we deserve through his death on the cross and death. And Jesus came to unpack the reality of what verse 18 means when it says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. Such love is unfathomable. And the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians 4, as we had uh, the reading read out for us earlier, that we will somehow fathom the unfathomable when he prays this field to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen, says Paul. So by the time we get to the end of the psalm, the final invitation to call on the name of the Lord is there. And the psalmist reverses, follows the grounds of praise with his words of praise in the final verse in verse 21. And he says this, My mouth will speak in praise, Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. And th this concluding praise is not just an individual that the psalm began with, but the praise of all creation. And so it seems that the psalm was intended to stimulate the people to 
appreciate the Lord's powerful and generous kingship over not only Israel, but the world at large. God is greater than they thought. And it is a reminder to us too that God is greater than we think. God is greater than we think. Now, this, ha- this has implications of all ma- in all manner of ways. Let me draw out three of those implications to consider for us as a congregation. Things on the bulletin, I'm going to draw your attention to some of those. Uh, a gathering of God's people who are committed to prayer. For as Jesus reminded us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we think about who we are as a congregation, I want to remind us that we are a congregation that is completely dependent on God and that is reflected in the way that we are committed to praying. As we seek to make lifelong disciples of Jesus, which is our purpose, we need to be dependent on God in all things. And pragmatically, uh, you'll note on on the back of the bulletin at the top of the notices, the first thing I have written there is the weekly prayer meeting. So it's very intentional that I put that at the top of the bulletin and not at the bottom. Because I want it to reflect that that's a priority for us. Now, I normally join the Wednesday morning uh, prayer group. And uh, there's other people that join the other ones. And if none of these particular prayer meetings uh, suit your uh, a timing for you, that's fine. You can start your own with a couple of people. It's very short. We just try to keep it short. So it's easy. You can log in, log out as you need to. So let me encourage you to try to think about how you can meet up with other people to pray through uh, the work that God is doing. We can just pray through the bulletin. The bulletin's there every week and you can just pray through the information on it and, and, and then go again. It's, uh, you can just do it, keep it as simple as that. Also, to kick off the term this Tuesday and Wednesday night and also Wednesday morning, uh, we're having prayer meetings. It's the first day you're on Tuesday. Uh, is that right? Or No, Tuesday is the first, 29, 30, 30. First day of the year, pray for each other and pray for the, the households on the streets. It's a very simple uh, model to follow and I'll explain it in a few weeks when we hand them out. So it is my prayer for us as a congregation that we will pray great, big, bold prayers about what God is going to do in our community as we discover in a more deeper way that God is greater than we think. The second thing is that God's kingdom is a global kingdom. God's kingdom is a global kingdom. We are a local church. Most of us come from the local area, but we're globally minded of God's people who are committed to God's plans for the nations. What does this look like in practice? Well, this is seen, first of all, in the multicultural shape of our congregation here. Uh, Among us here, there are people descended from at least 12 different cultures that I could think of. Filipino, Korean, Chinese, Indian, Sri Lankan. Nigerian, Macedonian, Lebanese, English, Indigenous Australia, Peruvian. Have I missed anybody? Have I missed any nationalities there? I'm sure I have. You can remind me after these 12 that I could think of. We want to continue to reach out into the local community and see the nationalities present in our local community reflected in our gatherings here. But within that, we also have that is not only reaching out, raising up and supporting missionaries to go and cross cultures to bring the good news of Jesus to unreached people. In light of that, we support missionaries in Japan and Taiwan, Indonesia, Southeast Asia. And every week in the bulletin, I intentionally put the missionary prayer points at the top of the notices. As you'll notice, they're not at the bottom, they're at the top. Because I want to keep reminding you 
of God is greater than we think. And it's more than just what is here in our immediate surrounds. So joining the first and second points together, I've also left some CMS prayer diaries. You'll notice at the end of just one of these. And it's very helpful structure. It's every day of the month is a different country. And so whatever day it happens to be, you can open it up and pray uh, for the different country that is there. I've left one at the end of every pew, so grab one when you go out and use it as a tool to keep reminding yourself that God is greater than we think. He has a plan for the nations, not just us here in this immediate context. So it's my prayer for us that as we get involved with God's plan, we will discover in a more profound way that God is greater than we think. And finally, God's kingdom is a cross-generational kingdom. All ages and stages. Now, growing up in a small church on the south coast near Wollongong, I used to think that only old people were Christians. I was one of the only children in the congregation. I just think it was old people who were Christians. And then I started to go to a youth group in a bigger church and I discovered, oh, there's actually young people who are Christians? It was such an eye-opener for me. It was quite significant. And as we begin each year, the children stay in the services for the whole month of January and we get them involved in the services. That is because we want the church to be a church that celebrates together regardless of the age. Yes, accommodate each other and it's, we have to be patient with the hustle and bustle of children and, and, and their approach on our desire for silence. The younger ones need to be patient and respectful and to sit for the reading of God's word and the long sermons to sit through and maybe some of the adults feel a bit that way as well, growing in patience with that. But the notices on the bulletin will include information for young and old alike. We'll hear about ministries such as Minimum Time and the amazing cross-generational opportunities that groups like Mother's Union brings. Incredible opportunities to minister across the generations as well as to every age in between. So I'm going to continue to promote those things and work with them so we can celebrate the intergenerational nature of our congregation as we patiently learn from each other across the generations this year and beyond. It is my prayer that we will discover from each other that God is greater than we think. Well, we're going to conclude this time of teaching by reminding each other that God is greater than we think in the words of the prayer that come up on the screen from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So it'll come up on the screen and we're going to say it together as a way to praise God together. Uh, and then we will move on to uh, praising God uh, together in song. So let's say, that, let's say this together. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy, Lamb of God, and you were slain. And with your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praised and honour. Stand and sing and continue to praise God in the worship of the song, O Worship the King. Sing together. <laughs>